This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. It's thrilled today to be joined by Dr. David Bettinelli. Dr. Bettinelli is the Chief Medical Officer. He's also the Vice Dean of the Medical School at Northwell Health. Northwell Health is the largest health system in New York State and, and has really grown into being a remarkable system with a lot of talented leaders. Uh, Dr. Bettinelli, I want to talk to you about shortages of physicians, what can we do in the long run, what can we do to improve medical education in the United States, and a lot more. Can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, Dave Bettinelli, I'm an internist and the chief medical officer at Northwell Health and the vice dean at the Zucker School of Medicine at Northwell Hofstra. And, and, and talk to us about medical education in the United States. Obviously, overall, a great medical education system, not enough residency spots. It seems like we need lots more doctors, both internists, primary care, and specialists. What's some of your thoughts on the, what can be done to improve medical education in the United States or whether it needs to be improved? Yeah, no, I think uh, in a nutshell, you hit the main issues. Um, there are a number of things going on. Um, there's obviously uh, a shortage of total numbers of physicians, but uh, that's nothing new. And, and more importantly, there's really a maldistribution of the physicians that we are training, both in terms of specialties and in terms of geography. So somehow we either have to provide incentives to uh, better align those priorities or remove disincentives that uh, are, you know, obstacles or contradictions to what, what we want. So, for example, we say we want X, but, you know, if you look carefully at the process, uh, we're not uh, rewarding X. So, um, that, you know, I, I think that's the, the, the geography and the, and the types of specialties are the two biggest issues. Talk to us about the male distribution of specialties by geography for a second. Geography is one easy to understand. seems like everybody and their spouse wants to get to New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, or another 20 big cities. And, and nobody wants to go to other places anymore unless you end up in places like Chicago, even though there's horrible access problems. You, you have lots of coverage. You have lots of subspecialists, lots of specialties, lots of specialists. But if you go to a smaller community, you know, 200 miles south of us, you, or 300 miles south of us, you don't. How do you deal with some of that male distribution of specialists and primary care physicians? Yeah, again, I, I think it's somehow, and I don't have the magic bullet, but if you uh, look carefully at it, you've either got to reward one thing or, or provide, uh, you know, some relief on some of the obstacles. So, you know, people want to live in certain areas. Um, that's always going to be the case. If you look at um, people who are accepted into medical school, for example, where they eventually practice, um, this single most a powerful variable is where they went to high school. So one of the things you could do is either take people from various rural communities into medical school, which is likely that they may return. But if you're taking people from highly populated areas where they have strong family ties and other things and available jobs and good incomes, you're not going to get the right geographic distribution down the road. Uh, I don't say I have the answer to that, but you know, that that's, you know, it's been going on 20, 30, 40 years. So it's a fact. It isn't something to and, debate. And, and let me ask you a question. Like 30, 40 years ago, you hit it exactly right. 30, 40 years ago, people came out of the military. They went to these small communities. They came from other countries as immigrants. And they helped us populate these, you know, smaller communities with great, great physicians. And you still see some of that with the immigrant physicians willing to go to some of these smaller communities. You don't have the same military physician network that you had at one point that fed into these areas. But is it, is it, I guess, I guess what you're saying is if you really want to change that, you, you've got to find incentives to do so because 
you hit it exactly right. People make great livings in the big cities. They have the life they want. They grew up there. Family wants to be there and so forth. So they're, they're not moving to these places unless they started from these places. So it's a fascinating challenge, isn't it? Yeah, and, and there have been people talking about, like you said, for, for a long, long time, compound that by the problem of in, in the heavily populated areas, you also then don't have the right position distribution, even within those heavily populated areas, into the lower socioeconomic communities. So it's just one insult after another. And, and talk about that, because, you know, people, we all talk so much about coverage, and we know there's still 29, 30 million people that aren't covered in our country. And we should have coverage for everybody somehow or another. You know, you could come to that conclusion somehow or another. You have to have coverage for everybody. But even when we have coverage, you have very challenging access problems, don't you? Yeah. And, you know, people talk about, and I give Dave Scorton, the, you know, the, the lead on the, on the AAMC right now, a lot of credit and bringing the diversity challenge to the forefront and really trying to do something about it. Um, but there's a limited pipeline. And uh, I would say that, you know, one of the ways to do this is, you know, get more diverse kids into medical school. But I think you also need to have more diversity even within the majority. So you take kids from the higher socioeconomic status and, uh, you know, then then you send them to medical school. Well, they, they're used to a particular lifestyle. They're not going to settle for anything less than that. And that's just a fact. Um, so even within the majority, you need to get more diversity in terms of other populations. And on top of that, take more kids with uh, diverse backgrounds. The entry criteria, and I'll probably get in trouble for this one, but the entry criteria for medical school is is distorted. Um, I mean, we, we debate between kids on a 3.7 and a 3.8, you know, from Notre Dame. There's no difference between those kids. There's no difference between a 3.8 and a 3.4. And we don't give enough people the option to go to medical school, the, the strong medical schools, who really have the right stuff, and we're still too much all about the grades. No matter how much anybody wants to talk to you about holistics, um, it, it's, it's, it's still people looking at you know grade point averages, MCAT scores, US News World Report, uh, and not the product that we should be producing. And, and, and Malcolm Gladwell actually writes about this in one of his books, how you, you, you set up these crazy hurdles to get to medical school. It's a lot of people don't play in that game because they know they can't get there. And so you have a tremendous amount of kids that drop out of, med, of pre-med that otherwise would be magnificent doctors. And, and, and you and I both know if you take somebody who did not get the same educational advantages that maybe some of us did from an inner city community who had a 3.0, that's as good as a 3.7, 3.8 with all the advantages others have had or, or better, quite frankly. And so how do you sort of repopulate that so you make it easier to have this, this proportion of people that we need to really serve our health healthcare needs as, a, as an entire community? Yeah, listen, we have to have the courage to, to make some changes and to take some risks and to figure out what is the right stuff. If I knew exactly what it is, I'd be doing it right now. The problem is the cycle length toward, towards that information is not short. So, for example, if I say I need more kids, diverse kids in, in practice in the year 2030, well, they have to be in medical school right now because it takes 10 years to, from the beginning of medical school to the, phys, to the end of training to actually be in practice. So even if I change things today, you know, I got to wait 10 years to actually see the results. So we don't have those. We, don't, we, we have not yet demonstrated the patience 
to be able to take a look at the, the actual cycle length that it's going to take to demonstrate the changes um, in in some of our pilots, some of our experiments, um, which you know hopefully we'll get right. It does medical education. You know, right now you've mentioned it between undergraduate, medical school, residency, fellowships. You know, in in many areas, people aren't practicing until they're twenty eight, thirty two, or so. Does it? Does it take too long? Is the system sort of, you know, in in the law business, obviously, as a lawyer by background, you go to law school for three years, you learn almost nothing in law school that's really relevant to practicing law, although, you know, you, you meet magnificent colleagues, had a chance to be with Barack Obama and some other people, so I meet magnificent people, but in terms of three years of law school, I mean, you could easily do it in a year to two. Do we really need 10 to 12 years of residencies and fellowships and everything else, or can people become qualified in a different way? that would also make it a little bit less daunting to go to medical school and all the way through. Yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, could you do it a little bit shorter? You, you might be able to do that. I mean, we produce, we produce a really great product in terms of the amount of knowledge expertise and, and, and that, um, that we have. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, maybe modifying your point, you know, in 10 years, I could take a different kid and make him a very successful doctor. Um, uh, it's, a, you know, we have enough time to do it if we do it right. If we shorten it, you know, then we start getting into a whole nother ball game. But, uh, I would simply say, I have enough time. You give me somebody with, you know, decent grades and the right stuff. I can make them into a good physician. When you look at 2021, I mean, Northwell was really the epicenter of the pandemic. Well, let me ask you this question, even if being in the epicenter of the pandemic, horrible challenge, but is there a silver lining in how much people learned last year or your med students learned last year, you know, or two medical, so how much you learn as a system? Is there some silver linings to some of the incredible efforts that were put in? And, and of course, a lot of incredible tragedy, but are there some silver linings in terms of learning and education? Well, again, I'll go out with a couple of risky comments. Um, one is, you know, I, I saw a lot of people say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. And and I said, uh, yeah, you did sign up for this. This is like somebody who signs up for the reserves in the military, and then a war breaks out, and somebody's like looking around. Well, who's going to go? What do you mean, who's going to go? This is our business. This is what we do. On the other hand, even though we saw such tragedies, it was, in some bizarre way, rewarding to so many people because their their participation and their work was so meaningful. Um, lessons we learned. We learned that there are vulnerable populations that we've been ignoring for way too long, and we have to do something about it. This can't happen again. And on the upside, on the technology side, we learned about virtual care. And in my opinion, within three, five plus years, 40 to 50% of the care that we deliver will be done virtually and much better coordinated than the care we currently give. The, the performance by your clinicians, your your nurses, your therapists, your physicians, you know, everybody throughout your system, any thoughts on how you sort of rate that? You give it a one to 10 on the performance of the physicians, nurses, clinicians throughout your system, your medical students, where, where do you rate their performance over the last year? Oh, it's a 10. I mean, we we have the highest employee engagement scores across the board from our administrators to our physicians that we've ever had, well over the 90th percentile. And, and it was, again, you know, you put the right challenge in front of somebody with the right support. We had tremendous support from our institution with regards to protective equipment 
and what we call load balancing, being able to move patients around in our, you know, our single system so that no individual place on any individual day was overwhelmed with too much work. Uh, it was challenging. I don't want to downplay that, um, but people rise to the challenge. So it's a, it's a 10 plus. Let me ask you another question. You and I both recognize, and many people do, that nothing great gets done without an assemblage of leaders, without a lot of leaders. Northwell's done this remarkable job over the last decade of assembling and attracting and retaining people like yourself, and there's just so many of them, so I don't want to focus on yourself, so many great leaders, and you can't make a great system without that. Is there a, a, a trick to that? Is there a... a a, a purposely led effort to that because I, I get a chance to visit with so many remarkable leaders about the Northwell system. The, the same thing with the Intermountain system. You talk to one brilliant person who's highly engaged after another who, who loves what they do, who loves what they do for the system. Take a moment and talk about what the secret sauce is to assembling so many engaged leaders, serious leaders. Yeah, so uh, you may get several different answers, but I would say, you know, everyone knows that this is. Uh, this is a mandate from the top, from Michael Dowling, to make sure that we attract leaders, um, that we support leaders, and um, leadership is is probably the thing we talk most about. Uh, our uh, physicians, our chairs, our administrators, um, we have leadership programs, um, and it's modeled. So it, uh, I, I guess, in a, in a word, it is it is not uh, an accident. It is is it intentional? It is purposeful, and we are constantly striving for uh, improvements. And not everybody succeeds. You know, if you come here and you are not succeeding as a leader for certain reasons, maybe it's too individualistic or etc. Can't function in the matrix environment we have. Um, you know, you'll you'll need to move on. It's it's extraordinarily intentional. It, it, it seems like, and it becomes clearer and clearer. And it is, it is one of the great gifts of, of Mike Dowling. Sometimes you do have a, a gifted leader who doesn't have the grace to try and really let everybody else lead as well. And ultimately, you can't attract great people if you don't have that grace about other people to really spread their wings and become great and, and practice at the, at the top of their profession, the top of their license is the word we use for physicians or clinicians or advanced practitioners, but the top of their leadership skills is what we think of in terms of leaders. And if they're, if the leadership provides too much cover, they can't do that. And it really seems like you guys have done, the system has done a remarkable job of elevating people and giving them a chance to lead. Yeah. Again, one of the things that we do uh, constantly here is, is we're, we're always communicating with each other. We're always looking for people who um, you know are willing to raise their hand, and and we give stretch assignments to uh, people and young people. Um, and again, you know, not so dissimilar from the COVID uh, challenge. You know, given the right opportunity, uh, people rise to the challenge, and you see the best of people. Um, you know, you can take somebody and you know stick them in a particular job and never ask them to do much, and you're not going to get much. Um, that's not that's not how we work around here. Including, we will take talent and move it around so that you get a, a broad exposure to all the components that really need to function well together in order to be successful. 
Fantastic. I, I want to thank you, Dr. McNally, for joining us today. Just a pleasure to visit with you and hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. 